Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with one of Australia's leading speaking professionals. Lisa Evans is a business storytelling consultant and CEO of Speaking Savvy and Soft Skills Academy. This wasn't always her career, however as she was one of those women who found her dream career very young as a nurse and midwife. From her home in London, she saw an ad in the paper for a quick 12-week stint in Australia. And somehow, someway, she's still here 20 years on, married with children. But a devastating illness was not part of her dream path, or was it, which forced her to leave her lifelong dream work. Lisa began to build herself into a whole new version of who she'd once been. A testament to that transformation, she is now a TEDx speaker coach, author of four books, supremely trained in many genres of speaking and behavioral programming. These days, her focus is ultimately helping business leaders deliver captivating stories that are hard to forget. But in these latter years of her life, giving back is what pulls her forward. Hosting a morning radio show in Perth, and then there's her sellout storytelling charity event, Stories from the Heart featured as one of the top attractions at the Perth Fringe Festival. Shall we step into this, Lisa, and start sharing? Let's do this, Sarah. <laughs> Woo. Okay, so get us warmed up. I would love you to describe how a little girl grows up wanting to be a midwife. How does that happen? <laughs> well, as a little girl, I wouldn't have known anything about about midwifery, but I knew early on that I wanted to be a nurse. And I don't know whether this was the trigger point, but I remember quite clearly I had a favourite doll called Rosie. And uh, one day my brother, uh, in a fit of rage, threw this doll and her head kind of fell off. And that was the days when, you know, the head kind of was separate to them. It, it was had a joint thing and the head fell off and I was devastated. And I remember crying a lot and mum uh, found the doll hospital in London and we traveled, we went on the bus and we went to the doll hospital and there was this nurse at the doll hospital and uh, she fixed the doll's head back on and she put a bandage around her neck and she handed her to me and I felt so grown up. And she said, now, Lisa, take her home, pop her into bed and you look after her. And I felt so special and so grown up that uh, I think that was what planted the seed that I wanted to become a nurse. And I had to wait till I was 17 and a half, which was the, the age 
of acceptance into training. And yeah, I didn't really think about doing anything else. And it was only during my journey of training, this was a long time ago. So I did what they call hospital-based training, learning on the job. And so we got to have a taster of all the different specialties. And initially I was drawn towards trauma nursing, but then when I experienced a midwifery and that whole, you know, really special thing of the joy of helping bring new life into the world that I thought, mm, this is something that I would like to do. So after my initial three years, I then went on and did an extra two years to be a midwife. So I was still pretty young at this point. Wow. what a you, you got me thinking about, I've never actually heard about that doll hospital thing before. And I was like, if nursing wants a revamp, you know, they need to capture these kids again. And, and I could just actually see my five-year-old daughter going to that place <laughs> and a whole dream being sparked. So, wow. Okay. That's an incredible story actually. And it just had me wondering, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a, a brother who is much, much younger than, than I am. Yeah. One brother. So by the time Rosie's head fell off, you hadn't had your little brother yet. Yeah, no, it was him that made the head. Oh, yeah, he threw the doll. He of threw the he doll, did. yeah. And, of course, you know, back then, I mean, you, you made me think about your, your daughter and, and the, the concept of the doll hospital now. These days, like, things are disposable. Things get thrown away. But back then, you know, mum would stitch and our clothes got mended and our clothes got made and they were people were a lot more thrift aware. So our toys were, were mended. Wow, it's it's a great point. And my daughter just had her birthday and got the, the doc. There's like this little doctor set. And yeah. So, yeah. It's really interesting. And I do, I ask everyone this question about these years because I think my five-year-old has me curious. And what I want to know from you um, and as we discover your life is, did you dream of one day traveling the world and living overseas? Cause we know that's now what happened, but is that something you did think about in those young years? No. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I went on holidays with my parents, but nowhere particularly exotic. And I was quite sort of happy where I was. I didn't have this dream to travel around the, the world. It was quite by accident yeah. that, I, that I took this path. Yeah. Got it. And, and I'm curious about you because I feel very similar that here I am 20 years on in Australia and I was the only girl in high school that didn't seem to have this need to travel overseas or to go backpacking. So here you and I both are in a, <laughs> pretend, a foreign land sort of, um, but you know, this Australian 12 week stint. So I want to get into this potential accident. So what allowed you to go from, I'm here for 12 weeks Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, it's 12 years and then more and more and more. So what's, what's that transition point when mm -hmm. it's the 13th week? Okay, so it's, it's been 32 years living oh. in Australia. So it's a long, long time. Really? What happened at the 13th week? Well, I, I, it was Sydney. So I came across to Sydney. Now, I think I now live in Perth on the West Coast and Perth is very different to Sydney. And I think that... If I'd have gone from London to Perth initially, it would have been so much of a culture shock. I probably would have gone straight back. But going from London to Sydney, 
And then there were lots of similarities. So I immediately sort of felt at home. There was a big, big recruitment drive. So at the time, there was lots of uh, other fellow nurses from the UK and, and other places. And even though I came by myself, I just sort of felt as though I, I fitted in. And I loved the, the lifestyle. I loved the ability to be able to travel. I very quickly accepted the seven-on-seven-off night shift post so that I could have these sort of seven days to to travel and explore and see the beaches and it was just so very different to my life in sort of dreary dull grey London which I'd come to think of it as at the time and I really didn't think anything of it when I was offered the chance to just stay on so it really it just happened, which is probably the unexciting answer. But I think, you know, when you're young, you don't necessarily think about the longer term consequences, the fact that I hadn't really packed up, I hadn't said goodbye to my, my family. So there was not the there was the um, sort of lack of ability for them to really make the adjustment, which looking back now as a parent would have been quite devastating for my mum in particular. Mm. Okay, so we know you've been in Australia a long time, but lots has happened whilst in Australia. So after this devastating illness, we're not going to reside there too much, but I know that you were forced to shift gears. So how long did it take you to start having a new vision for your life? It took, it took quite some time. Because, you know, when you are thrown a curveball in life, then there is, you know, a massive period of grieving, uh, adjustment and wondering what on earth are you going to do for the rest of your career or, or life. So I, I did become a bit blindsided for a while and I did feel sorry for myself for quite some time because founding my career as a midwife was pretty much the dream job. As I said, I'd specialised and I'd become a neonatal intensive care midwife. So a very sort of high tech, challenging, demanding area of nursing that's very specialised. And I'd done that for over 20 years. So I thought that being a midwife was the forever job. So when all of a sudden I really didn't have a choice but to walk away from that career, a lot went through my mind. You know, what am I going to do? Who's going to employ me? What sort of skills am I going to to need? And, you know, I had very little in the way of motivation or any idea. And sort of back then I didn't know, didn't know anything about coaching. I wish I had because I would have got a career coach or I would have um, sought some, some advice, but I kind of uh, battled through it. So I had actually started back at uni very part-time. My girls were still quite small. And so that was the um, that was the moment that I decided, right, I'll go back to uni full time and I'll finish off this MBA that I had started. So I finished off an MBA with a focus in healthcare management and I got a job in the public service for the Federal Department of uh, Health. So then I made this sort of transition from clinical work, sort of frontline critical care nursing very fast-paced teamwork, life and death decisions to this sort of back-end big machine of bureaucracy where I wondered, did anything ever get done or did anything really happen? And that was a very, very difficult adjustment for me. Okay, so storytelling 
expert. So as you begin to reshape yourself um, and you're in this kind of like humdrum of corporate, like bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. Is it like a vision or do you just try something and you kind of think, I like that? Or give me a little bit, um, if you can, describe the pathway to a new vision your life yeah so I was uh, working in the public service and that had uh, a lot of uh, a lot of challenges so I wasn't particularly sort of fulfilled it was a good job and there was a you know a paycheck and some opportunities but there was something there was something missing so I turned to I decided that I wanted to get better at, at public speaking and I started to learn all about the techniques and the and the tools and it really did spark a lot of interest in me. So I decided that I wanted to learn all that I, I could. When I, when I decide to do something, I usually immerse and I jump right in and then I spend a lot of time. So I started to seek out the best speakers, mentors, coaches from around the world. And I began to just be a sponge and to soak up whatever I could. Now, I've always been interested in storytelling because, you know, when I was a young kid, we didn't have, we didn't have TV. And we also, storytelling was very much part of being a very young and inexperienced nurse because, you know, I got to experience and see and be part of incredible trauma that I would not want my 17-year-old daughters to have experienced. And back then, have counselling, we didn't have EAP, we didn't have any support. We were just told to sort of suck it up and get on with it. And we weren't allowed to show any emotion because it was seen as a sign of weakness. So often we would turn, we would debrief by telling stories. We all lived together in the nursing quarters. And uh, it was also a way that we would communicate with our patients. Often we didn't have the answers. We didn't have the skills. We would be spending a lot of time with our patients and we would tell stories. So I often say, you know, look, I grew up on, on stories. And as part of the public speaking journey, I got interested in storytelling and I found that there were these amazing storytelling groups around the world. There was nothing like it in my hometown. So I signed up to these groups and many of them were in the US, in Canada, Europe, India. So it meant getting up at ridiculous hours of the morning and hanging out on, on Skype. My family thought that I'd gone completely crazy, but I started to really learn about storytelling, about how to tell a story, what makes a good story, about story performance, different types of stories and frameworks. And then I thought, um, then I discovered business storytelling. And that was really what sparked an interest. I'd been a speaker coach for a few years already. I did a certification. I became a speaker coach. I'd been working with speakers, but I decided that I wanted to specialize and become an expert in business storytelling and helping leaders to articulate their vision and values and their business and their product and service in the form of a of a story because stories are incredibly powerful. And it was a couple of years into this journey where I went to an event and a client in the lead up had asked me, you know, what did you used to do? Have you always been a speaker? I told them the story that I haven't always been a speaker. And he said, well, what did you used to do before you became a speaker? And I said, I was a midwife. And he took a few seconds to think about that. And then he introduced me to the group as the story midwife. And it's kind of stuck ever since then because 
I do still bring life into the world, but this time in the form of stories. And I think as we were chatting before, I said to you that, you know, when we do make a switch in our career, whether it's chosen or whether it's just a fate that's thrown at us, we bring all those skills that we have from our previous life and our career into our new job and our role, but maybe we don't necessarily think that at the time. But now I've realized that, you know, my 20 years of being a nurse and of being a midwife, I've got incredible intuition. I've got incredible intuitive, intuitive skills. And I'm also tough and firm, but very nurturing as well. So I think that that's what makes me um, different. And uh, yeah, I love what I do helping leaders to tell better business stories. Beautiful. I love that about how I can just imagine you as a, in the coaching environment being so nurturing, like having those two skills together would be really beautiful. So I love hearing about this life change that you've gone through and how you're finding that thread, but your family, you kind of said when you were on Skype and on the, all these international calls, you're, the people in your life thought you were a little bit crazy and it wasn't all rainbow and sunshine for you. You know, I know your kids weren't really sure about what you were doing. How did you hold steady and create this into a business rather than just a hobby? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that we, uh, we expect that our friends and our family are going to become the, the cheer squad. But uh, certainly there was a lot of questions and my family in particular, although they didn't stand in the way, they would ask me questions such as, you know, but you've already got a good job, mum, or what about retiring? Are you thinking about retiring? You know, planting those seeds of doubt in me rather than going, yeah, you go, mum, you know, out you go and, and do what you like. So I um, really realised at that point that if I was going to make it, it would be really up to me to make it happen, to be determined and also to really sort of seek out the, the mentors and coaches and guides that I needed to be able to keep me on the right track uh, mentally and to develop those skills that I that I had. So I, I guess I chose not to listen to others. <laughs> I surrounded myself with people who were willing to sort of take me along the journey. And look, my family were supportive in terms of, uh, yep, you know, do this, but they really didn't sort of get it for a while. And I also find that uh, many of my professional speaking colleagues will say that their family and friends sort of don't really get what we do because <laughs> it is a little bit uh, unusual I guess being a being a speaker and I, I just want to delve a little bit deeper into that because for me you're doing something innovative something like you said that's a bit left of center yeah and when you are not in the center and you're just one step off what is it inside yourself that allows you to keep going we know that your family wasn't quite sure yeah. but what is it inside of you that allows you to keep creating and forge a path that maybe you've never seen before? Well, I think for me, it was that, that I started to feel joy again, that I had been sort of trapped in this sort of grey high-rise building and this big machine of the public service. And although I did have the ability to make a difference, 
the progress was slow and there was a lot of red tape and loopholes. And I suddenly found that, you know, I got to make the decisions, that everything was up to me, that I could really make a positive difference. And then when I began coaching others to step up and share their story and speak on stage and develop their public speaking skills, I saw some incredible results. So the results started to drive me as well. And, you know, having this sort of inbuilt um, need to want to help and nurture others and, and help them in their success, I just thought that, uh, yeah, this was, was amazing. So it was sort of partly the feelings that I was getting, this sort of reconnection with that joy of making a difference, as well as just being excited about getting up in the morning and, and going to work. Lovely. I love it. And so I want to nut down storytelling in particular. So I'm also in a business where storytelling, it's all about storytelling. But what do you notice about people in the workplace? Why is it important to be able to tell your story in a compelling way? Yeah, because the, uh, storytelling has the ability to cut through noise. It has the ability to create context and meaning. When we tell a story in the business setting, we're able to explain a very technical and uh, sort of high-level concept in a way that anyone can, can get it. Not, not only using sort of stories and anecdotes and case studies, but also using metaphor. You know, metaphors are very, very powerful. And as we know through the research in neuroscience, you know, storytelling has an amazing way of uh, accessing different parts of the, of the brain. So we're really able to, when we get the combination of storytelling and empathy, then that's where the magic happens and that's where the change happens. And as leaders, we are change makers and we do want to be able to influence and persuade others to take action, whatever that action might be. And storytelling allows us to do that. But what I find is that a lot of people in business can be a little bit sceptical or they think mm, storytelling's not for me or my topic is uh, dry and technical, so it, I can't tell stories or um, I'm an academic, I can't tell stories. And it's only when they experience the impact that storytelling can have that they then become converted and then embrace storytelling. Hopefully that's my, that's my role. <laughs> and what do you notice... For people that don't have the skill, meaning they haven't trained with someone, yeah. where are some of the pitfalls? Where do people go wrong in how they tell their story? Yeah, I think, well, we all, we have the skill, we all have the skills that we need to tell stories because we've got our own life experience, we've got a voice and we've got an audience. But where people go wrong is a lot of self-doubt, thinking that I don't have a story worth sharing. My life's ordinary. So that's often the, the start. The other thing that people do is they start to tell a story. They don't have a structure and the story just kind of becomes um, a little bit of a waffle, you know, with um, the twists and turns and it's too long, too much information early on and it doesn't really have a point. So business storytelling, business stories have to have a point and a, a purpose. So we're not just sharing stories for the sake of it because it's nice. That's what we do around the barbecue at the bar. But for business storytelling, there has to be a, a, a purpose and it has to make a, a, a point. 
So I guess that we need to really also be very clear on the outcome and what we're trying to achieve. So where else do people go wrong? They go wrong by trying to memorize material. So whether that is a presentation or a story, it doesn't work if it's memorized. It sounds like it's read out loud. It sounds robotic. And a good story is really brought to life, brought to life with energy, with dialogue, with emotion, with sensory language. And uh, you've got to feel comfortable doing that as, as well. I have to admit, I'm a bit of a story junkie. And therefore, I, I really feel that there's some stories that hit stronger than others. And like you said, some people fall on it by accident. Um, but again, there, there is a difference between a waffle and, and almost like, like you say, a metaphor that cuts through and really lands. But in that, there's your own story. There's the fact that you teach other people's stories, but then there's who you are as a woman in the world helping other people. So if you could tell women over 50, one thing about themselves that they may not, that they may have forgotten, what is it that you would want to leave them with? And really in the business context, actually, if you're okay with that. Age is, is only a number. <laughs> you know, we hear that a lot, but then we also hear people saying things like, it's too late. It's too late for me to change my career. It's too late for me to start a business. I've always wanted to do whatever it is, but, you know, I feel as though I've lost that chance. And, you know, for me, not having a choice, but to reinvent myself later in life, you know, I didn't really have the time to sort of sit back and go, well, you know, am I, am I too old? It certainly was, it did go through my mind. Other people reminded me of that, but you know, you're never too old. And I think that just having a go and asking yourself, okay, you know, what could be the worst thing that will happen? Okay. If I fail at my business, I might end up back in the workforce or, yeah, um, giving it a go, believing in yourself and also seeking out the right mentors and coaches. And I think I, in the early days, I didn't know the difference between a mentor or a coach. I signed up with a coach. I realized after that, that it was a mentor that I wanted, somebody who really had walked the journey and was further along the path than, than myself. Yeah, so believe in yourself and, and seek out the right help and and support. And don't be afraid to ask questions as well. I just want to thank you for the give back, how you share your story. I do think you actually represent that message that you just said really strongly. And that's such a gift to women in particular, women in their 50s, but all of us. We all need to hear that message and you're a real demonstration of that. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So... Open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link 
to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.